0: You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me today is the wise and knowledgeable Mike Chappell. And we have a great show on tap today because the Colts are winners. They won in prime time over the Jets. Thank goodness! Could you imagine how depressing this podcast would be if they had lost uh, today? We're going to recap the game. We're going to discuss takeaways from this game, and we're also going to do a quick check-in on the Colts' playoff hopes. I know the rest of the league hasn't played their week yet, but we're going to look into it anyway, as that's what it's all about—trying to fight your way into the playoffs so you can then contend for that ring. Uh, But before we get into all of that, we have some news, Mike. The Browns have released Odell Beckham Jr., the 29-year-old, on his birthday, is headed to waivers. Uh, So in about 24 hours, he may be on a new team. NFL Network reports that Cleveland and Beckham have reworked their contract. And Ian Rappaport reported that Beckham's base salary – Uh, will be reduced to near league minimum with the rest uh, going into a signing bonus. So any team that picks up Beckham, at least according to this report here, will be paying him not a whole lot, something near league minimum for the rest of the season. Uh, Mike, this is a player who came into the league elite his first three seasons, 4,100 receiving yards, 35 touchdowns. Odell's past five seasons in New York and Cleveland combined uh, 2,900 yards and 16 touchdowns. He's definitely dealt with some injuries over that time, which included torn ACL last year. He's uh, played through some shoulder injuries this year. I know he sprained his AC joint, so he's not 100%. Not a lot of players in the league are right now, but this is a guy who has been elite in the past, and plays at a position that the Colts are banged up at right now. T.Y. Hilton's been banged up all year. Uh, Paris Campbell's out and, you know, has dealt with injuries in his past. Colts could certainly use another weapon. Is this someone in your mind that you think Indianapolis should be interested in?
1: I think they have their personnel meetings, and you say, what do you think? And I think the discussion will last about 10 seconds, and they'll say no. I... Again, money money won't be an issue. It won't, you know. Let's say league minimum, and off the top of my head, I can't remember what league minimum is. Minimum is Let, let's say a million. Well, we're halfway through the season, so you're prorating the minimum the minimum base. That's not an issue. I just I just don't see it would be so uncharacteristic of these guys to go that route. Uh, is he a talent? Yes, but I just there's something going on there that it's not the same but it reminds me of Terrell Owens and when he was traded I don't know, suspended or traded like three times in, in as in, in the prime of his career when he was the best player on the team uh and i just when you get rid, when a team gets rid of a player who is an issue at some level i just don't know why a team like the Colts, would risk disrupting what they have going. I realize I I think this is a strong locker room, so you should be able to take on somebody who's not exactly toes the line. But I think this is one – this would be a bridge too far for me, even though he's probably still got tons of talent and and might automatically be their second-best receiver uh, if he comes in. But I I just – I think, I think it would be and will be a short discussion inside the building.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Now, you know, if this was Madden, I'd say, sure, bring him in. But there's there's a lot more complexities uh, to make this work. He has to gel with the team. Uh, he does not really seem like a Colts guy. Uh, not that Odell Beckham is someone who's, you know, really been in trouble in the past, but he, he kind of got that, prima Madonna tag in new york it kind of carried over into cleveland i know his dad releasing the video of him running routes and being open and baker not getting him the ball and all that drama uh, i guess the best way to put this is i don't think the colts are going to be willing to sign up for that drama especially for a football team who you know they're four and five right now it's not like They're riding high into the playoffs, and this could be the missing piece. I mean, if you bring in Odell, and then you don't make the playoffs and things go poorly, I think he's just going to amplify that and let his frustrations be known. Um, I also don't think the Colts are going to go for Odell, and he might not even make it to them in waivers anyway. I mean, wouldn't it be kind of humorous if Odell is upset in Cleveland and then he gets scooped up by the Lions?
1: (laughs) Well, and again, when you're on waivers, you have no, you've got no control over where you go. Uh, you know, I do think there are some places that'll be very interested. Can you imagine again adding him to Tampa? That'd be a oh, so much gross. of a Tom Brady Stunning move. <laughs> uh, the I've seen the Saints. Would he want to go to the Saints, where you're going to have Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill throwing you the football, or 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 not throwing you the football? So uh, th- there will be a spot for him, so, sort of. It's sort of like Antonio Brown. This is different because Antonio Brown's had off-field issues. I mean, serious off-field issues. Like I said, this is more of a Terrell Owens where it's a internal disruption in the drama. Again, I always hate saying he's not a horseshoe guy that the Colts love to throw out there because if there's a player that can really help him at a spot Maybe they do it, but I just think this is one that I I wouldn't do it. I don't think they'll do it. And uh, so I'm really interested to see how this thing plays out.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the difference between Odell and Terrell Owens is Terrell Owens remained productive deep in his career. Odell has not been the same player uh, that got him so much notoriety when he was in New York. And you can put the blame on injuries. You can put the blame on Baker Mayfield. That at the end of the day, elite receivers are supposed to produce, and Odell uh, has not shown the kind of production he did early in his career. So I think we're both in agreement there that uh, probably not going to happen for Indianapolis. By the time you're listening to this, Odell might have a team, if you're listening to this, on Saturday, Sunday, next week, whenever it might be. This is recorded Friday at about 2 p.m. here. But uh, definitely something of note when a player of that talent all the sudden becomes free all right let's go ahead and get into the game recap here the three and five Colts host the two and five Jets Jets coming off a nice win over the Bengals and they're going to try and keep that momentum rolling while the Colts try and bounce back from a devastating loss to the Titans Jets start with the ball and the Colts force a punt after Pay applies pressure on third down great start Colts within score a touchdown on their next Four possessions. First possession, their touchdown came in the form of a 34-yard Naheem Hines touchdown run. It capped off an 8-play, 88-yard drive, 7-0 Colts. On the Jets' second drive, it ends with a 19-yard touchdown to rookie Elijah Moore. Xavier Rhodes just completely lost him in coverage. Rhodes really having a tough season. Uh, This game is tied at 7, but... Very significant on this drive. Quarterback Mike White was hit in the arm-slash-wrist area. Uh, Trainers worked on it on the sideline. You saw him trying to throw the ball, but ultimately he would not be able to return to the game. Colts keep it rolling on drive number two. A heavy dose of Jonathan Taylor gets the Colts down the field, and then JT would finish off the drive with a 21-yard touchdown run. Colts retake the lead 14-7. With Mike White out, 35-year-old Josh Johnson enters the game. This guy's played for about half of the league. New York is approaching midfield at this point when Darius Leonard punches the ball out of Ty Johnson's grasp. Indianapolis covers. The maniac does it again. Mike, have you ever seen anybody so talented at getting the football loose?
1: No, and what's really crazy is, is when you watch replays of this, he he's not looking to like strip the ball he he's it, it's the punch it's incredible that going full speed coming into a guy like that he's got the ability to, to ball up his, his fist and, and punch the ball out and it's just a complete knockout smack on the football and you know once or twice and the guy the guy got lucky no this is something that he 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 works on i think that's four Force fumbles this year, and I think nine takeaways. I think, yeah. So it's it's just incredible. And I saw someone say, you know, let's keep in mind for defensive player of the year. I'm not going that far, Uh, but uh, he's reinforcing himself as, as an all pro, and I think he's getting healthy, healthier. So we'll see how the last half of the season pans out, and and we can get into it a little bit later on. But they need to do. He needs to do this against the Buffaloes and the Tampas and the Arizonas. But so far, it's just he's just got this incredible knack for taking the ball away. You know, his tackles are down this year. The ankle has impacted him,
0: but the takeaways are up. Yeah, his knack for taking the ball away sets the Colts up at New York's 46-yard line. Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. get the Colts to the goal line. And then the Colts score on a shuffle pass to Jack Doyle. Uh, the play works a lot better. The shuffle past Jack Doyle is a lot more successful when Aaron Donald isn't on the field to disrupt Amen. it. But uh, that's that's how the play was supposed to go in Week One. Uh, they execute it to perfection in Week Nine, and the Colts are up now twenty-one to seven. All right, New York's next drive. The Jets drive into the red zone, but Indy's defense stiffens up and limits New York to a field goal. Scores now twenty-one to ten. Colts have the ball and they're doing a two minute drill, a little under two minutes on the clock, actually, trying to score before the half. Wentz orchestrates a nine play drive that ends with a Michael Pittman Jr. touchdown. It was originally called incomplete, but replay showed that he clearly had the ball and took three steps before a defender eventually got in there and knocked it out. This is Pittman's fifth touchdown of the year. All five touchdowns have come within the past five games. This Wentz to Pittman Jr. connection has really evolved and picked up as the season has gone along. I'm sure some of it has had to do with Wentz becoming healthy, but also, Mike, it just kind of takes time for these quarterback-wide receiver connections to take shape, and Wentz didn't get a lot of time in, the, uh, tr- in training camp to form that connection with Pittman.
1: Yeah, they, they probably worked as much as anybody in the offseason getting together elsewhere, but it's just different. Uh, when you get on the field like this, and it's really kind of impressive to look in, the, in these third and five, third and seven situations, and and he's looking at Pittman, and he's he's making the tough catches, he's on pace for i have not got the numbers in front, but like 95 catches and 12 1300 yards. Uh, I I have to admit that coming into this season, I'm trying to talk myself into the fact that maybe he's a number one receiver. But he is, and I had the same hesitations with T.Y. his first couple of years, and then he certainly won me and a lot of people over. So, it, it, the difference in in T.Y. and Pittman is what like four or five inches, and
0: four or five t- inches t- t- a lot of burst.
1: Burst and a physic He he brings a physical. I'm trying to think who at that level that the Colts have had that physical. Uh, Pierre Garçon, maybe, although he didn't, he didn't really, I, I think, go in and really hammer people. Pittman, he, he looks for contact, and he's not the least bit shy about taking contact. And uh, you hope he stays healthy. He had the bad injury, uh, the leg injury last year that set him back, but boy, he's on a tear right now. And what's, we've talked about this, what's really, really encouraging. Uh, let's say Wentz is the answer long-term, whatever long-term is. But you've got a running back and a receiver who are in their second year, and that's how you have a foundation to build on. So hope these two guys, Taylor and Pittman, stay healthy, and that's how you build an offense.
0: Yeah, you go back and look at that draft. First-round pick went for DeForest Buckner. I'd say that's a smashing success. Second round, they get Pittman Jr., Jonathan Taylor. That's Working great so far, and then the third round, they got Julian Blackman, who was a very good safety, really coming into his own before he had the Achilles injury a couple weeks ago. So, um, yeah, Chris Ballard's pretty good at his job. Anyone calling for his firing, I, I would describe as foolish. But let's get back to the game here. Uh, second half now, and Indy starts with the ball, passes of 12, 27, and 31 yards, gets the Colts. To a first and goal at the seven. First down, Jonathan Taylor, two yards up the middle. Second down, direct snap to Naheem Hines. We saw this last week as well. Hines hands it off to Taylor, but he's unable to pick up any yardage. Third down, Carson Wentz picks up three yards on a scramble. We're now looking at fourth and goal from the two. You know Frank Wright, he's going to go for it. Direct snap to Taylor, it's stuffed. That's a turnover on Downs. You know, I I can't blame Frank Wright for going for it. That'd be like blaming a fish for swimming or something like th- of that nature. But uh would you think at this point with a 21 to 10 or a 20, I believe a 28 to 10 lead at this point in the game, uh, not just taking the field goal to go up 21, Frank Wright staying aggressive.
1: I didn't mind that. I didn't I I didn't like the the series of plays. He kind of got cued on two of them with the direct snap or the wildcat on two of them, and you know I, I think if Hines doesn't hand the ball off to to uh, Taylor on second down, I think Hines probably wins a race to the pylon. He he just got cute, I thought. Although I tell you, it's one of those where if if it doesn't work, you got cute, and if it works, you know great play calling. So it's but I don't I don't mind the aggression. I, I really don't the chance to to really really put the game away uh it's just one of those where you know i I thought frank had a really really strong play calling game that's probably one i would say to do something different because because it didn't get in but if that's all we're going to complain about with frank and his play calling from this game i think it was a heck of a game
0: yeah he was he was cute at the goal line, quite a bit in this game between the Jack Doyle uh, shuffle pass, a direct snap. He was
1: going to make a shovel pass work, come hell or high water. He was. I'm surprised he didn't point right. up in the press box when, when that thing went through.
0: <laughs> and go see it works. <laughs> I swear to you, it works. And, um, and one of right. the,
1: one of the thing one of the thing on, and you've got it on here. But at, I think one reason that you go for it, fourth and goal to two, is if you don't make it. They're backed up at the two-yard line with a, with a third-string or fourth-string, whatever it is, quarterback. And that's where you tell your defense, just, you know, limit the damage and we'll get the ball back around midfield, which is pretty much what happened.
0: Yeah, and Taylor actually did gain a yard on that play. So they took over at their own one-yard line. Right. Colts would force a three and out. Uh, and with the punt, the Colts took over at New York's 40. So after all of that, Colts get the ball – Already on the jet side of the field. Uh, Hines and Taylors get Indy. Hines and Jonathan Taylor get Indianapolis to the two-yard line. First and goal. Carson Wentz looks right, turns back le- left, and finds Danny Pinter. The Turp, offensive. Chirp, chirp. chirp. <laughs> Ball State offensive lineman snuck out for a Touchdown. His first career professional catch, Pinter did play some tight end in college, so that wasn't completely foreign to him. Uh, always like to see the offensive linemen, those big fellas, in the end zone, spiking the ball, celebrating. We have a 35-10 to 10 game halfway through the third quarter, and the Colts are in control. After forcing another 3-and-out, the Colts would need just one play to find the end zone because Jonathan Taylor exploded through the line and went on to run 78 yards for the touchdown, the longest touchdown run in the NFL this season uh, from any player, not just the Colts, any player. We now have a 42-10 to 10 game, an absolute blowout, or so we thought. Josh Johnson all of a sudden would get in a rhythm here for the rest of the game, and the Jets scored a touchdown on their next three straight drives. Almost reminiscent of the Baltimore Ravens game, where the defense just kind of, uh, you know, let the offense have their way with them at the end. Uh, over the Colts' next three drives, they would have just a field goal and two punts. So the the score was actually way tighter than the the ball game was. Jets have the ball now at Indy's seven yard line, down forty five to thirty, with forty five seconds on the clock. A touchdown here would actually make it interesting. The Jets score a touchdown, then they would surely try an onside kick, and if they recover that bad boy, they have a chance to tie the game. But, defensive defensive tackle Taylor Stallworth tips Johnson's pass into the air, Bobby Okereke comes down with it to seal the game for Indianapolis. Taylor also had two sacks in this one, so he was, you know, we talked about uh, Darius Leonard's great play, but... I, if I had to give the defensive MVP to somebody, it might be Taylor Stallworth because he had the two sacks and the tipped pass that led to the game ceiling interception. Final score, 45-30. to 30. A score as they call it. That's the first time in NFL history that a game ended with a score I, of 45-30. to 30.
1: I can't believe that.
0: That's, that's not even that weird of a score.
1: That, it, it's not like 30 7 to 20 I, I it just it doesn't seem like that's that hard to get to 45 that, to 30 I, so I I'll take their word for it cuz I'm not going to do the research one thing w- which you probably would uh identify with as, as much as some w- when they're at the inside the 10 yard line uh, a lot of bettors had to be a little bit nervous yeah, the 10 what was what was thread. the line? What was it, 10 and a half points or whatever it was yeah, that's the back door The old backdoor cover would have really made some people a little upset had that happened.
0: Oh, yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, everyone who took the Colts in this one came away with some money. Um, great win for the Colts. There were a few injuries, however. Braden Smith left the game with a triceps injury. Frank Wright did not have an update on that injury today. Cornerback Xavier Rhodes left the game with that calf that just keeps. Seeming to bother him all season, um, you know, it seems like an injury that has to be affecting his play in one way or another. Safety Kari Willis, before the game actually, was placed on injured reserve. So, Mike, Willis will be out two more games. This game counted towards the three games he has to miss correct. on IR? Okay.
1: It's three three games, correct.
0: Got it. Even if, even if you're placed on IR hours before the first game, as yeah, long it's as they missed three, okay, right. three games. Got so, it. so they're going to be without uh,
1: they're going to be without their starting safeties two more games in Blackman for the season. Willis, we don't know again. Uh, it, it's a minimum of three games, and he's just been not right most of the year. Uh, he missed a game earlier. I can't think of whether it was a groin or a knee, whatever it was. Uh, and, and there was another game that that he wasn't able to finish. So, and Xavier Rhodes, who knows? Uh, you know this calf injury. He I think he missed the first two games of the season with the calf injury, and they better get healthy real soon because after you get past Trevor Lawrence, you got a bunch, a bunch of elite quarterbacks waiting for you with the Josh Allen's and Brady and Kyler Murray and and all that. So and Derek, Derek Carr. So uh, that's what we'll get to the takeaways. But that's what bothers me most was this defense giving up. 400 yards passing to Mike White and Josh Johnson.
0: Yeah, let's go ahead and get into the takeaways now. And we'll start with some positives. The offense was impressive. The Colts finished with 532 yards. That's the 10th highest total in franchise history. It's the second time in club history the Colts had at least 250 yards passing and rushing in the same game. The other time was way back in 1956. So it's been quite a while. The Colts scored- that, that,
1: that was that was with John Unitas and Alan Allen Amici. If you need to sort of add context to it, in '56, I was amazed that it only happened. You know, it never happened to Manning years with with Edger and all that. But that was a, an offense uh, that, that we've been kind of hoping for. Uh, the balance again was incredible. Uh, thirty passes, thirty rushes. I asked Frank Reich about that today, and he said, normally in today's NFL, balance is 55-45, maybe 60-40 on, on, on passing. But uh, that, that was something special last night.
0: Yeah, we talked about balance uh, on on Monday being one of the takeaways from the Titans game. The Colts did not have that balance that they needed. They certainly showed it here today. And I don't have the stat right in front of me, but – uh, according to Pro Football Focus, over at least over 40 percent, I can't remember exactly the number, but at least over 40 percent of Wentz's passes were um, off of off of some kind of play action or play fake or an RPO. So really that run game, successful in its own right, but setting up the passing game and helping Wentz and his receivers be successful, uh, another set I have here, The offense scored at least 30 points in its fourth straight game. That's the first time they've done that since 2010. And the 45 points scored is the most in the Frank Wright era and the most since 2014 when the Colts scored 49 points. Takeaway number two, the Colts ran the damn ball, which was one of our keys to the game coming in. 260 yards, the most in the NFL this season in the sixth highest total in the Indianapolis era. They averaged a robust 8.67 yards per carry. That's a franchise record. Taylor had 200 yards and two touchdowns on 21 touches. 172 of those yards came on the ground. He is the first player with 100 yards from scrimmage and a rushing touchdown in six straight single-season games since LaDamian Tomlinson back in his 2006 MVP season. That is excellent company to be uh, mentioned with the Hall of Famer like that. Uh, It's the sixth consecutive rushing touchdown for uh, for Taylor, as I mentioned. That's the longest streak in the NFL and the longest streak by a Colt since Edron James in 2005. His 78-yard touchdown, the longest-rushing touchdown in the NFL this season. And he has both of the top two longest runs in the NFL in the NFL this season. He had an 83-yarder against Houston where he got tackled, I believe, inside the five. Um, so that one didn't quite go to the house, but it was a tad longer than his touchdown run. Heinz also chipped in with 74 yards rushing and a touchdown on just six carries. He also had four catches for 34 yards. Could have been more if he uh, could have kept his toes in bounds on one of those passes there. But just outside, I think that would have been like another 25 yards for Hines' total there. It's the first time Hines has topped 100 yards from scrimmage this season. Mike, we had been kind of wondering, where's Naheem Hines? Where's Naheem Hines? Last podcast, we called for it. Your receivers are injured. Get Hines more involved. He lined up as a receiver quite a bit in this game. They fed him the ball, his 12 uh, – uh, between rushing attempts, and then he also had six targets, so 12 total opportunities uh, are the most in several weeks for Hines. Good to see him get back into form.
1: Yeah, I, I was looking. At the, the previous three games, he had like 58 total yards in three games. So I, I, I just kind of thought he was due – and this is one thing again. Sometimes we and I'm not very good on the message, like getting the ball to to Jonathan Taylor or more. You know, still it's still funny. He still didn't get 20, 20 carries. He, he got nineteen. So it, it's like twenty is a, is the taboo number. But what we saw with these running backs is they are the type of talents that it, if you give them the ball enough, whatever the the word enough is they're going they they have the talent that they're going to break three or four that's just what the really the playmaking backs do and Taylor's had had three uh plays from scrimmage this year that that are 70 plus yards and and Hines w- w- with the great reverse field and once he got to the left he ran away from them and that that's what you want when when you've got these backs whether it's a handoff whether it's those screens or something, or, or using Hines more out of the backfield. It's just, when you've got players like that, give them a chance to do what they do. Get them in space. Sometimes, Taylor creates space. And like you said, that one on the 78-yarder, great blocking on the right side, and he was so patient to let the hole open up. But, uh, again, it, it's, it's whatever enough is to give these guys a chance, you're going to have one zero and occasional minus but he's also going to break these plays he and Hines both so that was a great a a, a, a great example of what you want to do and what's really kind of crazy is the 260 yards was it the fifth or sixth most in the indie history you know what their rushing yards were in the fourth quarter minus one yard oof they had two carries for minus one yard just because of the way the fourth quarter. Panned out. They tried to throw the ball more to ice the game, but you know, in in a in a in a normal game, they're at three hundred yards because when you get the lead, you know, you normally pound away in the fourth quarter. So, a really good game. But again, I go back to that's what you want to do with with your great running backs like that is give them enough chances to break plays.
0: Yeah, and I really just want to emphasize that what we are seeing with Jonathan Taylor is special. I I mean, this guy is. A Freak athlete, guys, nearly he's nearly 230 pounds and reign of 4'3. And it's not just measuring, you know, a timing speed, it's field speed. This guy, his vision was mentioned several times on the broadcast last night for good reason. Uh, he's just all around. And you look at his receiving this year, his receipt, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I'm pretty positive. He's uh, been more productive receiving the ball than Naheem Hines has this season. Um,
1: it, it, one other thing on the speed, I'm writing about this later on on Fox 59 and CBS 4, the speed aspect of it. I, I was watching the tail end of the 78-yard touchdown, and, and Taylor kind of did the sprinter's lean at the goal line. And he had a 4.39 at the combine which was best among running backs in the 2020 combine. Naheem Hines in 2018 ran a 4.38 um, best among running backs. So, And, and both of them were, were elite high school sprinters, and I think Hines even did some uh, uh, track work uh, at, at, in college. So that's why I say when, when you've got the kind of speed that these guys have got, it doesn't take much to turn a regular play into something special.
0: Yeah, I, I just hope Colts fans appreciate what they have in Taylor. I mean, this is a guy, knock on wood, if he stays healthy, Hall of Fame potential if he keeps this up. And he's only going to get better. I mean, we, we I can't believe the Colts got this guy in the second round. He's better right now than Ezekiel Elliott. I think Elliott was a little more complete coming out. But Jonathan Taylor, I mean, the great character that he has. He works hard in the offseason, and he has improved in areas like receiving. Uh, He's just gotten better in every way, and if he stays healthy, he's only going to get better over the next year or two, and we'll see how long he can keep this up. But currently, he looks like one of the best running backs in the NFL and will go down as one of the best running backs in NFL history if he's able to continue what he's doing Uh, because he's doing it at such a high level. So. Uh, Just really wanted to pound that home uh, for anybody out there. Another takeaway here, Carson Wentz looked pretty sharp. I mean, there was a period in the game where he had the same number of touchdown passes to incompletions with three. He finished 22 of 30, 272 passing yards, three touchdowns, no picks, sacked just one time. He had completions to 10 different players, including Danny Pinter and Dez Patman, Uh, They both had their first career catches. It's the sixth consecutive game for Wentz with at least two touchdown passes. And he joins Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, and Patrick Mahomes as the only other quarterbacks to accomplish that feat this season. So that's pretty good company. Um, Mike, part of the reason he was able to be so successful was the offensive line was dominant last night. They opened up massive holes for Taylor and Hines. Uh, they gave Carson Wentz all day to throw the football. Colts have given up just three sacks over the past three games, with one each. This offensive line, after having some struggler, struggles earlier in the season, is really coming together.
1: Well, we're seeing Eric Fisher kind of get, getting his feet under him. I mean, he, he wasn't very—he wasn't good enough early. Uh, he, he wasn't fully back from the Achilles. I, I think he's getting there. You know, there, there was some the last. Not the last couple games, but prior to that, there were still some leaks on the left side. Now, not so much. And you're getting you know, Quentin Nelson's back. And they've sort of made the switch at right guard with uh, Chris Reed over Glowinski. We'll see how – now, Glowinski played about half the time this past game. Now, whether that was to to, to kind of protect Reed in the fourth quarter, I don't know. I haven't broken it down that much. And now the issue is is Braden Smith – the way the season's gone, I'm not expecting good news. Just because I'm not Frank. After the game, Frank Reich said they did a, I guess, a quick scan or whatever. He said there was something there. You know, it showed something. Well, that's you know, I always think the worst case when I think of something. But prior Pryor's played pretty well at right at right tackle. So so they're really playing. And again, uh, speaking of the injuries, I think Ryan Kelly's back in 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 Pro Bowl form. The first couple of weeks of the season. That left elbow bothered him, so the offensive line's really playing well, and also on the sacks. I'm going to give part of the credit to Carson Wentz because there has been pressure, and occasional pressure, and he's done a real good job of doing that little slide step and moving up. And I, I can probably in, in the top of my head think of four or five times in the last couple of games that he's avoided that. And that's what sometimes what the quarterback has to do because while we always think the offensive line protection needs to be spotless, it never, it seldom is. It seldom is because there's a lot going on there. So the, the fact that the offensive line's getting healthy, the continuity, we'll see how the Braden-Smith thing happens. But in all honesty, the constant at right tackle has been Matt Pryor, not Braden-Smith. Uh, and, and, and also the quarterback getting healthy, I think it's a really good combination. And if he plays like that and just eliminates the, the, the bonehead crushing turnovers, he's more than good enough. And again, it would be a full podcast. I don't think he's a top 10 quarterback because I can name 10 guys I'd like to have more than him. But that doesn't mean I don't want him. I think he's playing winning football except for those two throws at the end of the game with Tennessee. But I'm really encouraged by how he's playing, how the offensive line's playing. Uh, Now if we can just get the defense to kind of pick its game up.
0: Yeah, defense defense having a hard time really playing a full 60 minutes. I mean, they'll look really good for portions of games, and then they'll kind of fall apart. Uh, That's the next takeaway here. The defense gave up a lot of points. They allowed a touchdown, as I said, on three of the Jets' last four possessions before the interception on the final drive. The Jets passed for 412 yards in four touchdowns. Mike, how much of this do you think was the Colts were up a ton late in the game? They kind of, you know, played a little bit of prevent, weren't as concerned with the Jets. They just didn't want to give up the big play. Uh, they had points to spare, and they did. Or how much of this do you think was just the Jets at will going up and down the field on the Colts' defense?
1: I put it more just on the Colts. I looked at these last four drives, 75 yards, 66 yards, 80 yards, 83. And, again, the last drive, they were inside the 10-yard line uh, when the interception came up. And again, injuries play into it. Yes, they're playing with guys who you don't want to play that much, that long. The pass rush, I thought, was better. They were, Quinny Pace is getting to, he's getting into the Freeney status of where the almost sacks. He's almost getting there. And I think he's creating sacks for other people, which is fine, but they they still need to start creating more more influence with their pass rush. But I, I do think it's getting better. I just don't like the way the secondary is playing. And again, a lot of it in my mind is, is injury, and Xavier Rhodes is not playing well. So on top of that, when you get the big lead, like you said, I think there is that. Let's make them drive, and then they just pick you apart and pick you apart. Maybe if you just keep keep the hammer down a little more, I don't know. But the idea that Mike White and Josh Johnson put up the numbers they did when you've got you know, all pro quarterbacks waiting in the wings to come at you. It's concerning, and they can say what they want. Yeah, you. it's incredible how they give up yards, they're giving up points, and they lead the league in takeaways. It's incredible how this is going on. They're getting these takeaways with a very pass, – not passive, but a lackluster pass rush that doesn't go together. Normally you get the takeaways because you're – rattling the quarterback and he's putting it up, or you're getting sacks and and fumbles in in the backfield. So they just can't keep having these stretches where they can't get off the field. Because, again, you're going to have quarterbacks coming up who will stay on the field because they're that good.
0: Yeah, you you mentioned Quiddy Pay. He did look good last night. Per pro football focus, Pay had seven pressures and two quarterback hits. I'll take that every single game. Hopefully right. he can get home for his first career sack. Still doesn't have that uh, in his stat sheet yet. And then you talk about the takeaways. They had two more turnovers last night, four straight game forcing multiple turnovers. They have 11 takeaways in their past four games. I mean, that's elite. That That's what they were talking about before the season when they said their goal was 40 takeaways on the year. Uh, Darius, of course, like we mentioned, forced another fumble on the season. Darius Leonard, 67 total tackles, four forced fumbles, three fumble recoveries, and two interceptions. No sacks, so get it together, Darius. Come on now. Uh, You know, you said you don't consider Darius as a player of the year candidate. Uh, Some other top contenders include Miles Garrett, who leads the league with 10.5 sacks. My bet right now would be Trevon Diggs, who has a ridiculous seven interceptions, um, just an absurd number at this point in the season. But a guy who forces that many turnovers and Darius Leonard, I think at least has to be in the conversation.
1: Well, I'm not saying he's not in the conversation. I'm just not on board yet with him being a front runner. And I, I would hope I don't. That, that's not meant to be a a snub. You can be an All Pro but not be a Defensive Player of the Year. And we'll see how the last half of the season goes. It almost always goes so that the big sack numbers or or, or a corner that just has, like you said, crazy numbers. We'll see if if Darius can – if he continues this stretch and he ends up with, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 takeaways, then we've got something else. Because, again, sometimes the tackle numbers are so deceiving. So many years in Colts history they've had a guy with a – zillion tackles and you don't remember very many of them uh, and, and as a rookie Darius had both he had, he had the tackles and number and tackles you remember we'll see uh and again i think that the thing is, the thing that's important as well is i think he's getting he's getting healthier and uh if he maintains this this pace you may win me over i it's crazy with this that we really haven't heard that much about Aaron donald this season and he, what well, he's won is he won two or three player of the year awards? Oh, kind of a jj wattish yeah so uh you know I, I don't mean to diminish darius leonard's season at all at all normally it goes to somebody with more eye popping that 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 singular number not the, the accumulation of all the numbers
0: no i understand what you're saying there usually when you're Looking for a defensive player of the year. You're not exactly pulling up the fumble numbers, but they've made a huge difference this year. And if Darius keeps it up, I think he's going to be right there in the conversation at the end. So we'll just have to see how things go. All right, moving on here. Let's, let's look ahead a little bit. AFC South, Colts advance to 4-5. and five. The 6-2 and two Titans atop the division. They visit the 7-1 and one Rams this coming week. Now, the Titans have beat some stiff competition the last few weeks with wins over uh, the, the Bills, the Chiefs, and I think, you know, uh, the Colts' record is what it is, but I, I think the Colts are one of the more talented teams in the league, and they all should have beaten Tennessee. So, Titans have some impressive wins, but they're going to visit a Rams team that might be the best they faced yet, and it's their first game without Derrick Henry. We'll, uh, we're about to find out just how much Henry meant to this Titans team uh Jaguars and we're
1: we're also we're we're also about to find out how much Adrian Peterson has left
0: find out how much AP has left they called him up from the practice squad this week
1: correct correct
0: uh so we'll 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 be watching that game on Sunday with the Colts uh taking a rest there Jaguars and Texans they're both sitting there with just one win Jaguars are going to take on the five and two Buffalo Bills good luck with that Trevor Lawrence the Texans visit the 1-7 Dolphins, and Tyrod Taylor is set to make his return as a starter, uh, coming back from a hamstring injury. So maybe the Texans pick up their second win of the year, facing a not-so-daunting Dolphins team. But either way, uh, Colts aren't worried about the Texans or Jaguar. Ooh, Jaguars in a week. They'll worry about the Jaguars in the week. But hopefully the Titans can uh, lose a game to the Rams, and the Colts will inch inch a little bit closer to that division goal. Uh, After the Jaguars next week, as you've mentioned, Mike, the Colts play at Buffalo, home against Tampa Bay. Those will be two huge games. I almost feel like the Colts need to find a way to win one of those, one of those games. Then they have Houston, New England, uh, Arizona on Christmas Day, Las Vegas Raiders who are playing well this season. They finished the year at Jacksonville, a place the Colts have not played well in recent history. So uh, I I definitely wouldn't describe this as an easy schedule. I think most of these teams have winning records with Vegas, Arizona, Tampa Bay, and Buffalo, um, or at least half these teams do. But you know what? I I still think the Colts need to – I don't think they can lose more than two games on the schedule and still contend uh, for the wild card or the division.
1: I, I've said that they need to find some way to get to 10 and seven. I think 10 and seven gets you the wild card. I don't think 10 and seven gets you the division because I don't think Tennessee is gonna collapse. So they're gonna have to find a way to beat you know, again, like you said, Buffalo, Tampa, uh, Arizona, you got you got to find a way to win one of those and, and then and then you have to beat the Raiders here. Right? It's almost like I and I'm as bad as anyone. I sort of just go right past the Raiders. Oh, by the way, you've got the Raiders as well. So you've got to find a way to win a game that odds makers don't have you favored to win. And to this point, what is it? Are they now uh, eight straight against, uh, they've lost against 2020 uh, playoff teams. And it, it, it was, it was. I, I don't think that, that uh, the Jets game proved much to us. I don't think that the Jacksonville game will prove much to us unless they lose. But but it simply gives you it simply gives you the chance to keep moving forward. And and that's but we're not we'll find out a lot about these guys seriously. Buffalo Tampa uh, but you have to get Buffalo Tampa at 5 and 5.
0: Yeah, the Colts looking for a win over Jacksonville next week. Get back to 500 and take it from there. We'll preview that game. Uh, on Thursday, so about six days here, uh, man, with the Thursday game, is is just like the Colts. We got kind of a long layoff as well. I hope we don't get rusty over here. Looking at the playoff picture, that wild card, there's a bunch of teams lobbying for it. Uh, a lot of four-win teams, including Kansas City, uh, Pittsburgh, New England, Cleveland, Denver. I mean, they're right in the thick of it for the wild card race. So the Colts are not out of it yet. Uh, enjoy the win against the New York Jets. They were supposed to beat the Jets, and they did pretty handedly. Um, But the Colts got a lot of work to do coming up this season, and we'll see just how good Carson Wentz can be. We'll see just how good this defense can be, and hopefully they have a little bit better health luck for the rest of the year. Mike, anything left to add before we get out of here?
1: Nope, nope. just looking forward to a nice long – uneventful weekend
0: me as well all right well for mike Chapel, i am joe hopkins thank you so much for listening colts fans follow mike on twitter at mchapel 51 follow me on twitter at roto street joe and follow the podcast on twitter at colts blue zone where we'll keep you updated on anything and everything that has to do with the colts throughout the week until next time take it easy colts fans